Good morning. I trust all the uh, beach equipment is out of the room so that we can focus here. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, the last Sunday that I was here, I think it was three or four weeks ago or so, um, I preached on Jesus calming the storm. And I even made mention in that message of living in a fallen world and, and the season that's uh, coming that we're going to have tornado warnings. And I had no idea that the, literally the next day I'd be driving through Harrisonville and then get to Peculiar and be in a tornado warning. And uh, my kids uh, were at home. They went into the basement and they said, hey, you preached about this yesterday. And I was like, yeah, I, I did. And I just want you all to know that I was much more careful with what I chose to preach <laughs> this Sunday. And, uh, you know, the Lord will make you practice what you preach sometimes. I'm glad to be back with you this morning and, and sincerely hope that you had a wonderful Resurrection Sunday last Sunday. Uh, I prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday. I'm kind of one of those snobby people. Easter is kind of a pagan idea. Resurrection Sunday, that's a Christian idea. And in fact, every Sunday is called the Lord's Day. Why? Because it's the day Jesus was raised from the grave. That's why we don't meet on Saturday. We meet on Sunday. And uh, we're meeting every Sunday because we are anticipating that our risen Lord is going to what? Come back. That's why we're here this morning. So it's a joy to be with you. I just want to restate the simple fact of the gospel. Because Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave, we receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life whenever we repent of our sin and place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's kind of boiling down the gospel. And yet I want to ask the question this morning, following up on Resurrection Sunday, what difference does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ make in your daily life? If you look back on the previous week, could you say the way you interacted with people, the way you did the work God gave you to do, the way you invested your time, energy, and money, the way you parented, the way you loved or didn't love your spouse, was it in any way impacted by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because in God's word, we see God thinks everything, every aspect of our lives every day, I'm not overstating it there, should be impacted by what happened on Resurrection Sunday. And here's the reason why. The reason is the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just something that happened in the past that we remember once a year. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of the Lord is something that has happened to you in the here and now. In other words, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to him in a spiritual, invisible way, in a way that his death and his resurrection happen to you now. You die to your old self, 
the old life of sin you were living and you are raised to a new life as a new person with new desires and a new outlook altogether on life. Maybe you're familiar with that that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? Resurrection Sunday isn't just an event in the past, though it certainly is that. We celebrate it, certainly. But it's also something that happens on the inside of you as a follower of Christ. The old Justin Locke is dead. And behold, I am raised with Jesus to a new life. And that should make a difference. You know what? That should make a difference on Sunday afternoon. That should make a difference on Monday morning, Tuesday, throughout the week. It has everything to do with our life now. And that's what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. That's going to be our, the focus of our study together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. In a moment, I'm going to read those verses with you. But before I do, I just want to note the original setting of these verses so you can kind of see the context here. The Apostle Paul is writing to a a group of Christians who are facing false teachers who have attacked the greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not necessarily what they advertise. Hey, we're here to dethrone Christ. But in their teaching, that is what they have done. They've taught that Jesus is less than fully God and that genuine spirituality is to be found in getting secret knowledge, keeping more stricter rules, and having mystical experiences. So in Colossians chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains the truth about who Christ is, his supremacy. Think of those verses like uh, the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. He is fully God. He is supreme. Also in those chapters, Paul explains the truth about who Christians are, right? In Christ, we have everything we need for salvation and for life. And also, Paul is going to explain in this letter the truth about Christian spirituality, Christian spirituality really isn't about mystical experiences. It's not about keeping stricter rules. It's it's really not about finding secret knowledge. Christian spirituality is about being united with Christ. It's an objective reality. And when you're united to him, you have died and you have been raised, amen? And that is true spirituality. It's Resurrection Sunday spirituality. And it has everything to do with literally every day of your life, every response, every responsibility, every relationship. That's what we're going to look at in these four verses that we're studying together. So let's hear Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then... 
you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The truth is, the only way to overcome sin and please God is to be united to Christ. Be united with him in a death like his, dying to sin, dying to the world's way of thinking, and being raised to a new life with him. In another scripture, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. And so our passage that we're focusing on this morning, verse one picks up on that idea. If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning since this has happened to you as a believer, since this is the the spiritual reality that you live in, here's how it is to impact your life every day. And for our purpose this morning, here's how we're gonna kind of follow the, the train of thought. There are two commands to obey. And then there are two reasons why we should obey those two commands. So if you want to jot this down, it'll help you follow me. Verse one is a command to live a resurrected life. Verse two, a second command to live a resurrected life. Verse three, a reason why we should do those two commands. Verse four, another reason why we should do those two commands. Two commands, two reasons. That's our outline. So I'm going to start with the two commands for living a resurrected life. The first command in verse 1 is this. Set your heart on heavenly things. It's a command. Since you're raised with Christ, Resurrection Sunday, it's happened to you. Here's what you're to do. Number one, set your heart on heavenly things. The way that verse one says it is seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Right, we know from scripture that after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples for a period of about 40 days, and then in Acts chapter one, it tells us that he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a metaphor, meaning the place of privilege and power. So what should our response be? We should set our hearts, our our desires, our longings on the things above where he is. We're to strive for the things that matter most in heaven where Christ is our Lord, is. To seek 
means to set your heart upon. The Lord Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where he said these familiar words, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, how does it finish? That's where your heart is. Your heart is set upon some kind of treasure, Jesus says. That's true if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. That there is something in your heart that you treasure. The problem is it could be earthly or it could be things above where Christ is seated. What do you treasure most? Is it serving Jesus or is it serving yourself? Is it gaining rewards in heaven or is it getting earthly treasures like promotions, prestige, popularity, possessions, comfort, etc.? What do you treasure? What is your heart set upon? Those who have died with Christ have died to the things of this world. They are not what we live for anymore. Certainly we have responsibilities to keep. We have things that we enjoy in this life. I'm I'm seeing the green this morning and I'm thinking about watching the masters later this afternoon. I'm sure that's why Bo chose green this morning. I'm gonna enjoy that, hopefully. But listen, when we're united to Christ, we've died to the things of the world. They are not our ultimate prize any longer. Our ultimate prize as resurrected people is to hear our resurrected Lord and Savior say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we desire, isn't it? That's what we long for. That's what we want most. And that desire should impact every day, everything. So that's the first command that we're given to live a resurrected life. Set your heart on things above. Christ, his kingdom, his reward. Value what is eternally and heavenly valuable. And then a second command in verse two. Yes, set your heart on things above, but then also verse two, a second command, set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Verse two says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now when I hear that verse, I just wanna be careful. This. This is not saying that we should just sit around and think about what heaven will be like. Obviously, we need to read those biblical passages that describe what heaven is like, meditate on them, but, but this is not saying just sit around and think about what heaven will be like. It's, it's not saying you can never consider things on earth, your work, your responsibilities. It's not saying that. What it's talking about is our perspective What governs the way we think, the way we perceive of our lives, the world around us, the people we interact with? 
What governs the way that I think? And what should govern the way that I think, the way I view all of my life, is Christ, his kingdom, his eternal purposes and plans. Before coming to Christ, before we die to our old life, before we are raised to a new life in him, what do we set our minds on? What are we preoccupied with? Even as Christians, we, we struggle sometimes. We get preoccupied with earthly things. Our mindset is, is often shaped by worldly values, even sinful desires. But as we live a resurrected life, our mindset regarding money, time, marriage, love, career, hope, life and death, tragedy and triumph, unfair bosses, unkind spouses, disobedient children, sports, leisure, all of it is affected by a new perspective, a new mindset, that this world is not our home, that the things that we see are actually not ultimate reality, but in fact, the unseen things, Christ, his return, those are the ultimate things, the ultimate realities. It's interesting, if you'll look with me for a couple of moments, uh, Colossians chapter three and four actually spell out what it looks like to have a heavenly mindset, a mindset on, on things above. I just wanna run through these with you just to see how practical they really are, how much they impact everyday normal life. For example, verses five through 11, Talk about things that we need to put to death in our lives as resurrected people. Put to death what is earthly in you. Then it lists sinful desires, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Why do we put those things to death? What is the perspective that governs how we see those things? Verse six on account of these things, what is coming? The wrath of God. When is that gonna happen? When Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. So what governs how I view these things in my life? I don't just say, well, those are just mistakes that I made. This is, this is simply just a vice that, you know, everybody's got their vices. These sins, they're, they're just my vice. No, we say, Christ is coming back. <laughs> and I'm not living for these things. I don't want to face the wrath of God. So I'm going to put those things to death. We put them, verse 8, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to each other. Why? You've put off the old self. That's not your mindset anymore. You have a mindset of a resurrected person. Just jump down quickly, verse 12. Those are the things to put to death, right? Our, our mindset, our, mindset our, our perspective is shaped by heaven, by Christ. So we put those things to death, but what do we, what do we put on? What do we then strive for? Well, verse 12 says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with each other. If anybody has a complaint against one another, what do you do about it? You forgive each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. What governs our perspective on people who wrong us? Right? My, the old man, the old Justin, what, what do you want to do when somebody wrongs you? I want to get even with them. But what governs my perspective as one who has been risen with Christ? Think about the mountain of sins I have committed against God. And think about the mercy and grace he has shown to me. And that shapes my perspective on you when you offend or wrong me, and hopefully vice versa too. Verse 17, and whatever you do, really interesting tidbit on the Greek, it means whatever you do, everything you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is your mindset? Christ, who he is, what he's like, his return, what matters most for eternity. That's what governs how I respond. The the character traits that I pursue, the values that I hold. How about this just for one more? Of course, it talks about verse 18, wives, husbands, 19 husbands, wives, 20 children, parents, fathers to their children, bond servants to their masters, we might say employees to their employers. But then look at verse 23. See how practical this is. Resurrection Sunday has to do with what you get up and do tomorrow. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why? Because you know something. You have your mind set on something. The way you think is governed by something. What is it? That from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's a, it's a mindset. Even my work is not for my boss. It's not for that paycheck. Who is it for? It's for Christ. And what is the ultimate reward that governs how I view the way I do my work? His reward, eternal reward. It's pretty practical, isn't it? It affects every aspect of our lives. So friends, how do you think about everyday activities and responsibilities you have? Parents in the room, how do you think of parenting? What is, what is it that you're, you're striving to see your children accomplish? Is it stuff on a letterman's jacket? Or is it that they fear God and honor Christ? which is of more eternal significance, I can tell you in heaven there are no letterman's jackets. What governs the way you view your marriage? You realize marriage is supposed to be a picture of what? Think about this with me from a heavenly perspective. Christ and the church. And when we die or when the Lord returns, what will our marriage be like then? There is no marriage in heaven, is there, between husband and wife, 
Jesus says, will be like the angels. Marriage will have served its purpose. And the picture that it's all driving towards is that Christ is the groom and we, his people, are the bride. And Revelation talks about enjoying the marriage supper of the lamb. So back to my marriage. Does does my marriage exist for my happiness in this life? The way that I respond to my wife does it, does it show a heavenly mindset that I, I want it to point towards a spiritual, eternal reality? Or does it point to, I'm just trying to get out of it what I can? Is it a picture of Christ in the church? What, what governs how you think about those relationships? What governs how you think about your relationships with people in, in the community of Harrisonville? I'll, I'll admit I haven't lived in Harrisonville for, it's been uh, 10 years now since we, we, we moved. It's been almost 20 years since I graduated high school, so I'm not on the up and up in, in, as far as what it's like in Harrisonville now, but I, I know enough about Harrisonville to know it's a small enough community, even though it's grown, that, that uh, you know, people know each other. <laughs> we kind of, sometimes we know each other's business, And we can kind of get preoccupied with our social standing in our community and and neglect what we're actually here for. (laughs) We're not in the community we live in in order for our neighbors to think highly of us or to, you know, rise in the city council or, or anything like that. We're here to advance the kingdom of Jesus, period. This community is not our home. Do you realize that? You, you are a stranger and an alien, according to God, in Harrisonville. And, and there should be a, a quality to our life because our, our heart is set upon things above, because our mindset is shaped by things above. There should be a quality to your life that makes people look at you and go, that's an alien. That's different. Don't be weird for weird's sake. My wife would probably say I've tried that route. But just living with a heart set on things above and a mindset that is governed by things above will make you look different in this community. But you will also advance the kingdom of Jesus at the same time. So let me, let me just wrap up these, these two commands. Set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above. That's what should drive our everyday life, those two commands to obey. Those two commands to obey are now followed in verses three and four by two reasons we should obey them. Remember, we, we are risen with Christ, so we set our hearts on, we set our minds on. Why do we do this? Why, why do we live in this way? Why, what motivates us to live a resurrected life in the here and now? I wanna share with you two reasons. One is in verse three, and that is your spiritual position in Christ. Why live this resurrected life? Why obey these commands? One, because of your spiritual position in Christ. Follow with me in verse three. This will take some some explaining, but I think you'll see it from God's word. Verse three says, for you have died. 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? That kind of sounds strange to me on, on first glance. But I think you'll see this is speaking to our spiritual position in Christ. So we're here this morning. We're on the earth physically. We're in Harrisonville, Missouri. Zip code 64701. Is it still that? All right. Feeling good. We're here. But there's a sense in which we're really not here. Spiritually speaking, we we occupy a heavenly, invisible, spiritual realm. We died. Our old self crucified with Christ. We have been raised. And Ephesians 2, 6 sheds some light on this. It goes a step further and it says, God raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So think about that. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've died, you've been raised with him. Spiritually speaking, where do you sit today? Where are you at as far as a spiritual dimension is concerned? In the heavenly places. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly. That's the heavenly dimension that you live in now. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's your spiritual position. Now you're... Your position in Christ is hidden in a couple of ways, right? What does that mean that my life is hidden? What what does that mean? Well, one sense that it could mean is like safety or security. I think that's in play here. Our spiritual life is doubly secure since it is with Christ in God. And that statement kind of reminds me of, of the truth found in John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29. Hear hear Jesus' words there which address our security in Christ, our eternally secure position in Christ. I love these words. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish And no one will snatch me out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you're keeping track, that's a double grip. We are secure, spiritually speaking. Our our position in Christ is secure. We are gripped by both the Father and the Son. For how long? According to Jesus here, forever. If you have died with Christ and been raised with him, that is true of you. Your position in him is secure, it is safe. In that sense, it is hidden. But there's also another way that this word, this term hidden could be used here, and I think it's also in play. Certainly the security aspect is in play, 
when we reflect on that, does it not motivate us to live out that p- position in Christ, right? Does that not motivate you to know this is who I am in Christ, so now I live a resurrected life, it does me? But there's another way that term can be used here, and it means like concealed or unseen, right? Meaning the believer's life, a, a follower of Christ, that our, our life is unknown or not perceived of by the world. And isn't that true too? A, a Christian's life is not understood or seen accurately by a non-believer. A non-Christian doesn't walk up to you in Walmart and see, oh, you are united with Christ. You are seated in the heavenly places with him. Do they see that? They don't see that. Can it be seen with physical earthly eyes? It, It can't be seen, it's concealed. But again, That's not what governs how we live. We live by faith and not by sight. We're governed by what's actually ultimate reality in heaven, though we can't see it, rather than things which are deceptive and not ultimately reality that maybe could be seen. We've died. And our life is hidden securely, but unseen in Christ with God. And because of that position that we enjoy in Christ, what do we set our minds on? What do we seek? The things there where we are spiritually. However, what is hidden from the world is going to come to light. What is invisible to physical eyes now will become visible in the future. So verse four shows us a second reason that motivates us to live out a resurrected life. And that is because your spiritual position in Christ will come to light one day. Your spiritual position, though people can't see it now, it will come to light one day. Listen to how verse four describes it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in what? In glory. This is fascinating. The, the word for appear is, is not on accident, it is on purpose. And it's describing the full and open display of the glory of Christ at his second coming. It is a glory that cannot be ignored and will be seen by all. And who will share that glory with him? Those of us who have died with him and been raised to new life. One Bible teacher said it this way. 
He said, the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, and even partly from yourselves, will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, and ignores now will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are looking forward to that glory. And though I am wicked, though I have sinned billions of times against God, because I have been united to Christ in a death and a resurrection, in spite of my sinfulness, I will share in that glory too. And can anything in this world, anything in the current condition of the earth compare with that? Can being a $500 million quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs compare with that? This idea of our sharing in Christ's glory at his return and this unveiling of who God's people are, this this unveiling of the glory we share with Christ, this idea is not just in this passage. Jesus also spoke about it as well in Matthew 13, 43, and he said it this way. He described it this way. At his return, he says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that awesome? If you are one of God's righteous people in Christ, the glory of Christ will be radiating off of you in the kingdom of God the Father. Also in Romans chapter eight, verses 18 through 19, it says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Think about that, it compares whatever suffering we might endure in this temporary world with the glory that will come at the revelation of Christ. Is there a comparison? If you suffer the the worst way imaginable in this life, can that be compared with the glory then. One more reference to this idea. First John chapter three, verses one and two. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Yet, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, right? It, it, it's unseen, it's veiled, hidden. They can't see it, they don't get it. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, 
we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Set your mind on that. We we will see him in the fullness of his glory and we will be like him. With that glory, that, that joy ahead of us, are we really gonna set our minds on things in this earth, in this life? Are we gonna seek earthly treasures? No, when we see life, in light of that coming glory, it puts all things in their proper perspective. Of what importance are the difficulties, the insults, the things we are deprived of in this life? What value are earthly treasures? It all pales in comparison with being identified with the risen Savior, the Alpha and the Omega, the coming king. Think of that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, what's the result? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of what glory? His glory and grace. But we gotta turn our eyes that way, don't we? We gotta set our hearts and our minds upon those ultimate heavenly realities. So just to review, two commands that we are to obey. Seek the things above, set your minds on things above. Why do we do that? Two reasons. Because of our secure position in Christ, We've died, we're hidden with Christ and God. And also because that position is one day at his return going to come to light. We'll share in his glory. So let me end where I began. What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with our lives now? What's the correct answer, Sunday school answer? Everything, right? And it's because Jesus is everything to us. The things we value, the way we view relationships and responsibilities, what motivates us to live, not for here and now, but for then and there, it all goes back to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday has happened inside of us if we are genuine believers in Christ. We've died, we're alive with Christ, we're seated in the heavenly places. So we don't live an unaffected life. No, everything's affected. It's no accident that four times in the four verses we've studied, the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. Did you catch that? Verse one, if you're raised with Christ, Talks about things above where Christ is. 
Verse three, your life hidden with Christ. Verse four, Christ, our life appears. It's all about Christ, isn't it? Jesus is central and supreme. He is seated above in the position of honor. We are united to him. He is the center of our lives. And with that reality in place, we can live a resurrected life 365 days a year, amen. So, as we leave here today, seek the things above. Set your mind on things above. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise that you are so kind and gracious to those of us rebels whom you have forgiven. Thank you that you save us and keep us secure. Thank you that you give us the the new power, the, the power of the age to come by the Holy Spirit to live a transformed, ever-changing, more and more eternally significant and Christ-reflecting life. Father, I pray now that we would be convicted. I pray for my own heart that you would reveal areas where I'm preoccupied with seeking earthly things. And instead, Father, may we be preoccupied with Christ seated at your right hand, his return, the things that are of most value in reality and for eternity. Father, I pray that our treasures would be heavenly. I pray that you wouldn't allow us to waste what few days we get in this life upon merely temporal things but that instead we'd be living for a reward that lasts for eternity. Jesus, you're our Lord and Savior. You're our life. Everything is meaningless apart from you. Might that be the true conviction of our heart and may we bring that into what we do this afternoon and tomorrow morning and throughout the week. Jesus, we pray that we would more and more reflect your character, loving, patient, kind. And we pray that we would live in such a way that people would see you in us. Use us in our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces to be ambassadors for your kingdom. Help us to make the most of our sojourn our our time as aliens in this life. And we pray that all of it would be carried out with a gladness that is to your glory. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for letting me study God's word with you this morning and I just want to 
uh, encourage you as we go. I'd be happy to, to visit with you. If God's maybe working on something in your own heart, be glad to visit with you before you go today. But uh, otherwise, set your minds on things above, seek the things above, and let's live as salt and light in this temporary life we have. Amen. 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 God bless you.